0: Well, in particular, well, Happy Easter, everyone. Happy Easter. and, and uh, Happy Easter to those of you who are online. I've talked to a couple of people this week and said, I'll see you on Sunday morning. You won't see me, but I'll be seeing you. So you know who you are. And if you're not out there right now, Just let me know, and I'll give you a hard time. Thanks for uh, every, to everyone who's decided to participate in uh, this worship celebration, whether you're on-site or online. I really appreciate it. How, how often have you uh, ended a search for some item, uh, whether it's in your house or in the garage or wherever, and you just go and, and exclaim at the end of the search, it's always in the last place I look. How many, anybody ever said that? Okay, a few people are brave enough to raise their hands and the rest of you are just shy. Now, I just want you to think about that for a moment with me and please be kind as I ask this. It may just be me, but does that strike anyone else as humorous? Uh, Think about it for a moment. If you're looking, okay, this would be like me. If you're looking for a dipper to serve your favorite chili, and you find it in the second drawer that you look in, are you going to go look in drawers three and four just so you can say, Hey, Mabel, it wasn't in the last drawer I looked in. (laughs) What a weird day. Of course not. It will always be in the last place you looked because you're not going to keep looking after you find it. Unless it's not the day that's weird. Oh, wait a minute, that's not... I asked everybody else to be kind, and that wasn't (laughs) very kind of me. I'm sorry. I think what we really mean, perhaps, don't we really mean... I find places, things in places that I least expected to find them. For example, that ladle was in the kitchen junk drawer. If you do not know what a junk drawer is, I don't know <laughs> who you are. Uh, it wasn't in the serving utensil drawer. Or my hammer wasn't in my toolbox, it was on the shelf in my study. Sometimes the things we look for are in the last place that we expect to find them. That's usually what we mean. By the way, who likes Easter egg hunts? I like to watch them. I like to watch other people set them up. Uh, I like to watch the kids do them, usually. Usually. A lot of people like them. Apparently, I, I did a Google search. Uh, I found over a dozen Easter egg hunts listed in our area over the last week, between last Saturday and today. And there's one or two scheduled for even later. I I, I found that interesting. That Easter egg hunts scheduled for after Easter. That was I anyway. Some of them. Uh, Well, a lot of them were sponsored by churches. I found, I expected that, but some of them were were sponsored by businesses and cities or civic organizations. Mm -hmm. That was interesting. Uh, Easter egg hunts. Where do you think they hid the eggs? In places where the kids would least expect to find them, right? Except for the little kids, they would put them out where they could find them easy, right, for the little people, the real little people, but the other, the older kids, they would hide them in really hard to find places. Uh, I have three daughters and a wife, and, and one of the shows they liked to watch years ago was called, Gilmore Girls. <laughs> And they had an Easter egg hunt on that show. They hunted real eggs. That's always a mistake. They, there was an egg that got lost. No one could find it because it was hidden so well. They lost 12 of them? Oh, I'm sorry. They lost 12 eggs, which makes the smell even worse, right? Yeah. Okay, so you get the point. Uh, 12 lost Easter eggs don't smell well after a while, okay? Because they were hidden in places (laughs) that nobody would expect to find them, but they did find them eventually, I think. Uh, Where would you look for great displays of faith on uh, Easter Sunday morning, like today? St. Peter's Cathedral? Westminster Cathedral in London? National Cathedral in Washington, D.C.? Other beautiful church buildings, soaring with arches and echoing choirs, and maybe a more modern church building with no lights on and spotlights and smoke machines and rockin' and band. Some of you are going, yeah. Some of you are going, what? Would you look for a great displays of faith in a congregation gathering in a storefront in downtown Chicago, Detroit, San Francisco? What about Las Vegas? Would you expect to find displays of faith with uh, in a tin roof lean-to in a small third-world village? What about uh, in a rehabilitation camp run by an oppressive dictator somewhere? What about here? With this group of imperfect Jesus followers, whether you're online or or on-site, are you expecting to find displays of faith with us? Where do you expect to find faith when all appears to be lost and the world has gone chaotic and crazy? Where do you expect to find faith? Well, chaos chaos had swamped the lives of Jesus followers in seven short days 2,000 years ago. Their week began with the magnificent Palm Sunday parade. Shouts of "Hosanna" and "Welcome" had uh, to the, welcome to the Son of David echoed through Jerusalem when Jesus arrived. Everything was wonderful. Their hopes were no or uh, higher than. They had ever been and ever could have imagined be. them being. Hope filled the atmosphere. Everybody expected the world to change in a moment. Everybody was excited. Well, nearly everybody was excited to see Jesus enter Jerusalem. There were some who were not. There were some who told Jesus to tell people to shut up, and he said, No, that's not going to happen. Uh, even if I did, it wouldn't work. And then things started getting confusing because the first thing Jesus did is he went to the temple and cleared house, cleaned house. He didn't go to the Roman garrison, he went to the temple and cleaned house. What's that about? I mean, yeah, money changers are cheapskates and, and cheats, but we all, we all know that, but they're not the problem, it's the Romans. And then he cursed the fig tree. Well, who cares about the fig tree? It's the Romans; they're the problems. And then there's those those other Jewish people. Those are really bad people. I mean, you know, they're you know, there's the sinners, and there's the tax collectors, and then there's those there's those other people that aren't like us. People, you know, and and they're the problem. And, and then. It got worse from there because Jesus was constantly arguing with the religious leaders. Every time he turned around, there was a different group arguing with him. And he even got in arguments with his own disciples. Then he was betrayed by Judas and denied by Peter, deserted by all of his closest friends and followers. He was condemned and mocked and beaten and crucified. He was dead Now he's been buried for two days. Buried by two men in a hurry. Two men they didn't really know. Two men they didn't really know were following him. Two men they really weren't sure about. Women who had followed Jesus and taken care of him had witnessed all of this. And that brings us to Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. We've been looking at Mark's record of Jesus' life and ministry on earth, and, and this is the culmination. This is the this is where it goes. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, well, I need to pause here because most of us are Gentiles. Probably all of us. So we need to understand when the Sabbath is over. The Sabbath is over sundown Saturday evening. Sabbath runs from Friday evening at sundown to Saturday evening at sundown. So when the Sabbath was over Saturday evening, Mary Magdalene married the mother of James. In other words, Mary the mother of Jesus. James was his brother. And Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Saturday evening, they found a shop and bought spices. Then they had one question on their minds. Because very early on the first day of the week, (coughs) Sunday, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other this one question. Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Of all the questions they could have been asking, why? Why this one? Notice they, they're not asking, what if the soldiers don't let us close to Jesus? They witnessed Jesus being placed in the tomb. They witnessed the soldiers being there they witnessed the tomb being sealed they knew the guards were there they didn't they weren't asking what if the soldiers don't let us close they didn't ask what if the soldiers hurt us they're not asking can we find a tool or something to help us move the stone they're not asking how can we move the stone To open the tomb. On the way to the tomb. They ask each other. Who will open. Who will move the stone away. From the entrance. To the tomb. Devotional writer. J.D. Walt observed. This is the essential question. It's the most practical question. And at the same time. It holds profound theological meaning." They knew somehow they would figure it out. They just didn't know yet how. That's kind of how faith works, he says. We know and we don't know. We don't know who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb. We know we can't do it, but we go anyway. Faith means going without knowing. Faith means going without knowing. They knew it had to be done, and they knew what they had to do, and they didn't have it all figured out, but they got up early and they went to the tomb. This is how faith works. The faith of these women had been utterly crushed at the foot of a cross on Friday afternoon when Jesus died. The ashes of all their hopes were already cold. They had seen Jesus buried. The story had ended badly. Worse than anybody had ever imagined. I mean, just days before, they thought everything was wonderful, and now it's dead and buried. J.D. Walt says they didn't have any faith left, and yet they did. It was the faith to get up early and to do the next thing that had to be done. It was not the supernatural faith to believe that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead. It was the humble faith of love that says, I need to go to the tomb and anoint a dead body. Now some of you have already gone ahead. In your minds, if not already by reading ahead, but you know the women were in for the shock of heavenly proportions. But when they looked up. Those three little letters and that word. Whenever you run into them in the Bible. You know something big is about to happen. But. But when they looked up they saw that the stone which was very large. Had been rolled away. Then they received an unexpected message from an unexpected messenger. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Why? Well, it was a young man they did not know. Who is this guy sitting in Jesus' tomb? And their world and our world was changed in an instant, and it's never going to be the same. He said, don't be alarmed. (laughs) Sure, it's easy for you to say. What are you doing here? Never mind. I I read between the lines sometimes. You you ought to do that once in a while. Just talk back to the Bible. It's okay. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene, Nazarene. Who was crucified? He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. At least for a little while. So they couldn't keep it quiet any longer. I, I had to add that part because, well, they didn't keep it quiet. Where do you expect to find faith when it all when all appears to be lost? Jesus meets us and renews our faith in the places where we least expect it. On the first Easter Sunday, you can't find faith in the temple's massive marble halls. You certainly can't find it with the men who followed Jesus because they were hiding behind locked doors, hoping that they weren't going to be arrested and crucified next. On the first Easter Sunday, you find faith... little glimmer of faith at least in women who went to the cemetery to anoint the body of their dead Messiah their dead king this is where God meets us as we're on the way our way to the tomb to do what has to be done because life goes on having no idea who will move the stone Take care of that obstacle. This is where it happens. This is the place where the first light of the resurrection dawns in our lives. J.D. Wall puts it this way this is where it happens, in the place of death, unexpectedly and unannounced, and it upends everything we thought faith was before. This is the beginning, or perhaps the deep renewal of faith in God, in the resurrection of Jesus in the open-ended and limitless possibilities of the kingdom of God. Not how you thought it would be, but immeasurably above and beyond all you could ever ask or imagine it could be. Mm -hmm. Faith believes Jesus is who he says he is and that he will do everything he promises. The most important thing that Jesus asks you to do is to trust him enough to build your life around him. Faith is the deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. Those are the words of Oswald Chambers, a great. Great devotional writer. Faith is a deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. Sometimes we get hung up on that. I want to understand it before. not the oldest guy in the room nor am I the youngest I'm not I'm middle aged but I'm not the oldest and I'm not the youngest but this is what I've observed folks if you're going to wait until you can understand everybody you're never going to trust anybody think about that for a minute wait a minute if you're going to wait till you can understand yourself before you even trust yourself, you're never going to trust yourself. Somewhere along the line we have to start trusting Even when we don't understand. The stronger your faith in Jesus grows, the less self confidence you're going to have. But don't get, don't be afraid. (laughs) Don't be alarmed. Because God-confidence defines faith. Jesus-confidence defines faith. So you're going to replace self-confidence with God-confidence. Faith focuses on and, and even fixates on God, who God is, who Jesus is, who, what God has done and what God can do. See, the word of encouragement, the word of hope that we want to give to people and give to ourselves when we're facing challenging situations and circumstances is not, hey, you can do it. Grin and bear it, tough it out. You can do this. you got this. No, the word of encouragement, the hope of Jesus that we want to give to people, that we want to infuse people with, the hope of Jesus is, Jesus, behold your God he's on your side what else do you need faced with the impossible, faith doesn't worry about how you can overcome obstacles. Faith simply focuses on who will remove those obstacles or who will get me over those obstacles. When you wonder what chance you have of beating in a possible challenge, Jesus has a one answer. No chance at all if you think you can pull it off by yourself. Every chance in the world if you let God do it. Let me read that again. This is Jesus' blunt answer. No chance at all if you think you can pull it off by yourself. Every chance in the world if you let God do it. So I like to sum things up in a sermon in a sentence. So make it simple. Hopefully... Make it easy for us to remember at least past the parking lot. Faith asks who, not how. Faith asks who, not how. When faced with obstacles, we don't know what to do with. When faced with situations, we don't know how to deal with. When faced with problems, we don't know how to solve. Faith asks Who, not how. Mm -hmm. Author and speaker Andy Stanley makes a really valid point. I think we need to get a hold of. When things are going well, it doesn't require a lot of faith to trust God. But when life gets messy and chaotic, is your faith leading you to depend on God, or do you... Put your trust in something else. When life gets messy, does your faith lead you to depend on God or do you put your faith in something else? I'd like to invite you to think about how you'd answer a couple of questions this morning. It's a little different than what I normally do, but change is not bad. It's just different. So, the first question is whether it was while I was speaking, or in spite of what I was saying, or while we were singing or during one of the scripture readings, or something else. What did Jesus say to you? Now somebody might be asking, well, how will I know? How will I know if Jesus said something to me? That's a great question. This is a good, good way to figure out Maybe I would say pay attention to any God-confidence-building ideas that came to mind this morning. Just take note of any ideas that came to mind this morning that encourage you to put more confidence in God less confidence in anything else so that's the first question I want to encourage you to take a moment to think about why did you hear from Jesus and then the second question is what are you going to do with what you heard what are you going to do with what you heard Somebody might be thinking, "What can I do if I'm not sure what to do with what I think I heard Jesus say?" It's another good question. I'm going to give you three options, just suggestions. If you're on site, hang around and talk to me. That's one option. If you're online click on the message button on the Facebook page and send a message and I'll answer you as soon as I can. Or, option number three, if you'd rather talk to another follower of Jesus, please feel free to do that. So There's three possibilities. But the two questions I want you to take a few moments to think about are, What did you hear from Jesus? (laughs) And what are you going to do with what you just heard? Let's think about it. Jesus stood and sat with us this morning given us his spirit to fill us with his power and his love now you and I are sent to give his love to everyone we meet we are not sent alone we go with him so go the power of his love